Welcome to another episode of the Your Worth Taking Care Of series as part of Mental Health Awareness Week 2021, brought to you by Man Marking. To date, we have made just shy of 100 episodes of the Man Marking podcast, and we've been asking you, the listener, where's the talking? And we know that there are a lot more people talking now than when we started, and it's incredible to see. But the next step may be for you to do something more productive to improve your mental health and that may involve seeking out professional treatment and different types of therapy and that can be scary for a lot of people and it can be a huge step into the unknown so to help you we've put together seven episodes one for every day of mental health awareness week to give you some options of what treatment may be available and what may work best for you So if you're eating ultra processed food, the research shows that that does affect your microbiome and it affects in particular the types of species that are in there as well as diversity. This is a really, really new area of research and so we're still trying to figure it all out. But what we can, I can fairly, I feel, say fairly confidently is that diversity is good just like it's not just one nutrient it's not just one bacteria you need a diverse microbiome in order to be healthy and we also see that people who are healthy tend to have a more diverse microbiome and people who are struggling with health issues whether that's physical or mental there's an effect that their microbiome seems to be less diverse today we'll be speaking to professor julia rookledge julia is a Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. She's currently researching mental health and nutrition. So today we'll be talking to Julia about diet and nutrition and its impact on mental health. Sure. So I'm a professor of clinical psychology at in the School of Psychology, Speech and Hearing at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch, New Zealand, and also the director of the Mental Health and Nutrition Research Lab. So I do research on the interface between mental health and nutrition, more specifically looking at the effects of supplements like vitamins and minerals, but that has meant that I've learned an awful lot about diet and where to get those minerals and vitamins um, and, you know, from your diet and what types of foods you really should be eating based on the research that we've been doing. And how long have you been doing that for? Uh, It's been 12 years now, um, but I've been aware of the idea of using nutrition for over 20 years. Um, Just understand that as a clinical psychologist, like many health professionals who work in the area of mental health, uh, I was not trained in nutrition. I was, uh, in fact, we were taught that nutrition was irrelevant to the brain uh, when I was training. And that's the type of uh, training that I'm sure that many medical people in the UK would also be receiving, as well as other psychologists and psychiatrists. So the, and it's, so it's a, unfortunately, we've been taught the wrong thing. And that's, there's a, you know, it's, it's a pretty complex thoughts around my, my, my ideas around why that happened um, relate to partly uh, the change in our food environment that happened really drastically, but also partly due to the rise in the use of medications over that same time period. So those two common things happening at the same time led us to just say, you know what, just make sure you eat a 
balanced diet of fats, carbs, and proteins and get your adequate calorie intake and you'll be fine. And that message was completely wrong. But at the same time, we were being told that things like depression and anxiety were caused by a chemical imbalance. And the only way you could treat that was with a medication um, and or psychotherapy was, you know, certainly has, has shown a good effectiveness in the treatment of some of these conditions. But nutrition was just viewed as doesn't matter, just eat whatever. Um, and, you know, you, you should be fine on that front. And that message is unfortunately not only wrong, but it's really been a, had a huge effect, I think, on the mental health of our entire population of just saying, don't worry about what you're eating as long as it's, you know, balanced according to a health pyramid that's out of date. Yeah, I agree. I'm somebody who's quite passionate about um, nutrition myself. And that was one of the reasons we wanted to, to get you on, Julie, because I don't believe enough people understand the power that your food can have on your mental well-being. They just assume it's calories in versus calories out and very much a physical um, exactly. physical equation. But, and it's much more than that. Um, I know it's a very complex question, but can you just go into a bit more detail as to why nutrition is important in helping you maintain Absolute, a positive mental health? Absolutely. How much time do I have here? <laughs> as much as you want. <laughs> so, um, so going to uh, thinking about, first of all, our food environment. Our food environment, um, unfortunately, if we look at population statistics, that means that we look at, you know, the, the the all the people in the UK, for example, and what they eat, what we learn is that probably about half of the calories that they consume come from ultra processed food. Ultra processed food, I'm sure you know what that is, but maybe some of your listeners don't, is that ultra processed food is what you can buy in your petrol station or, you know, at, at supermarkets, unfortunately, because two thirds of foods sold in a supermarket are ultra processed. They're your packaged foods. You're, they're the foods that have been massively changed from its original form uh, in terms of either that, you know, things have been taken out of it or that things have been put in, things like emulsion fires, uh, colors, uh, your preservatives, your um, additives, your um, uh, uh, flavoring, those types of things in order to make it taste good because they've taken so many things out of it, like the fats and then the sugars, um, although they don't do such a good job of that. And it's, it's, that's an entire discussion in itself is the whole talks about fats and sugars. So I, I won't go there. But what I want to emphasize is that in the processing and making something ultra processed, one thing that I can feel really confident that's happened is that minerals and vitamins have been removed from the original source. So the original source may be something like, I don't know, um, uh, you know, your, your grains or your, you know, your, your flour that, you know, the grain, the original plant would have had minerals and vitamins, but they've been stripped away. So, um, or with sugar, for example, that's a really good example. Sugar, uh, it has been, you know, refined down to the, what makes it taste so sweet and is, is so addictive but all of the things that go with that sugar have been removed. So for example, if you eat uh, a fruit, 
then you're going to get sugar, but you're also going to get it, you're going to consume it alongside minerals and vitamins that are contained within that plant. And also uh, the fiber that's really important to consume that, sh that, that sugar within, and that will help regulate your insulin and um, will also slow down the whole metabolism of the, you know, met met metabolic pro pathways associated with consuming that sugar. So, or you think about something like maple syrup. Maple syrup is, if it's Canadian maple syrup directly from the tree, that's very different from a flavored sugar yeah. thing that you can buy in the supermarket. So that's what I'm trying to say is that we know they've been stripped of these minerals and vitamins. And the emphasis of our, you know, the whole talk about food is on these fats, carbs and proteins and your calories. And we've, we've just kind of ignoring these minerals and vitamins that have been removed from your ultra processed food. Yeah. And most people don't even know, well, why bother? Or maybe I just need to take one or two and that'll be okay because the, the food might be uh, fortified with these nutrients, like one or two, like not, you might see riboflavin or niacin on your yeah. ultra processed cereal box, um, but you will only get a few of them and you won't get the full array. So I haven't quite answered your question. Do you want me to get there? <laughs> <laughs> no, which is right. about why do we care why do we want to know about these minerals and vitamins and for the brain do you yeah, want me to go I, there absolutely yeah. and i think just what while you're on what you've just said i suppose it's about the chemistry of those nutrients as well and those vitamins and minerals because to to consume them in isolation you don't always absorb them in there in the same way you do when you eat them in the whole state it, well, that's right. But more, more, probably more importantly, is that you need to consume about, it's hard to, you know, that where the, the science does change on this a little bit, but we think that there's about 15 minerals that are essential for us to consume, and about 15 vitamins. And what people probably don't know is that you can't make minerals. I can't make minerals, you can't make minerals. You have to get that out of your plant or uh, you know, an animal that ate that plant. So uh, the minerals come from the soil. And so the, the, the minerals come up through the, so through the soil into the plant, and then the plant uses those minerals to make the vitamins we ourselves can make a few vitamins, like we can make vitamin D, for example, if we're exposed to sunlight, there are a few vitamins that the, our microbes or the microbiome can, can make. But for the most part, we can't make that full array of about 15 vitamins that we need, need for optimal brain function. So then the brain then uses, needs those minerals and vitamins in combination as you described, like we need the whole. And that's what is used to make things like neurotransmitters. Now your audience will be familiar with neurotransmitters, but maybe not that word. They'll be familiar with things like serotonin. Yeah. Serotonin um, or dopamine, that might be some things that people have heard of. And we know they're important for regulation of things like emotions, regulation of your whether or not you're gonna be impulsive or not. Um, they're, they're important for planning. Um, you know, uh, complex problem solving all require these neurotransmitters. Now, what people probably don't know is that the minerals and vitamins are essential for your brain to make them. So if your diet is lacking in those vitamins and minerals, then you can see what the flow on effect is going to be in terms of your overall um, 
ability to have a decent amount of these neurotransmitters for your brain to function optimally. And that's just one example of what the minerals and vitamins do. You know, there's a full array of things that are happening, not just in your brain, but all over the place. Things like every one of your cells needs these minerals and vitamins in order to make energy. Like the mitochondria that are in your cells need all of the minerals and vitamins in order to make ATP, which is essential for energy production. So or your DNA in order to sort of help regulate your DNA, you need these minerals and vitamins. So it's um, it's remarkable how important they are. Well, I guess that's not remarkable, but, you know, we've evolved to need them. What's remarkable is that none of us seem to know this. We've forgotten it this really important um, aspect of food. And no wonder we all feel foggy, low energy, um, unable to concentrate, low mood, anxiety. These are all going to be expressions of your brain being starved of nutrients. Absolutely. And I think people find it easy to look at physical um, illnesses so say you have an allergy to a food or you may feel bloated and have IBS after food or it may be something that just doesn't agree with you when it's a little bit more tangible and you could see the side effect you can kind of associate it easier with the food but when it's your brain they seem to struggle because it's kind of hard to prove what's causing that how in your line of work do you go about crossing that bridge and explaining that to people because it can be quite science heavy can't it well it is it it is science heavy that's for sure um but what we um the experiments that we've been doing at the university of canterbury for the over a decade now is that we've been put uh, giving people minerals and vitamins in a pill form So it's not perfect. I'd much rather people were getting their minerals and vitamins from food. But in order to be able to do the experiment to show that they're important, it's much easier to show that in a in a what's called a double blind trial, which is where half the people get the uh, the nutrients and then the other half get a placebo and they don't no one knows what they're taking and you just observe them over time and our trials run for about two months three months not a huge amount of time you can't ethically put people on these nutrients for an extended period of time when you're treating something like a serious mental health condition like ADHD or stress or anxiety or depression so our trials are quite short Uh, And then we look at the end and we say, okay, well, who did better? Who did, you know, whose symptoms got better, better, more better? Gosh, that's a terrible word. Um, (laughs) Which symptoms, it's early in the morning, (laughs) what symptoms improved more uh, for which group? And so what we've shown, and not just us, we've other people from other labs around the world, like in the US, like in Canada, in Australia, um, in the UK, there have been studies that have looked at the broad spectrum of nutrients. I'm not talking about a single nutrient. So it's not just we give vitamin D or we just give zinc. When you understand the biochemistry, you realize that makes no sense to consume things that way. You want the full array. So uh, the experiments have been showing, for the most part, there are a few that don't show the effect, but the majority of the studies are showing that the active ingredients, minerals and vitamins, are are showing a greater reduction in the symptoms that we were targeting 
relative to the placebo. And so that's a pretty robust design to say, it looks like these active ingredients are doing something. So then you backtrack and go, okay, well, but why aren't people getting these minerals and vitamins out of their food? And then when I started to explore that, I mean, I just thought we got, they were in their food. Of course they're in the food. Why would any, why would they not be in our food? And then I started to investigate and re realized, goodness, these ultra processed foods that the majority of us are eating and is, you know, makes up the majority of the food that people are eating don't contain them. No wonder we feel so crappy. Our foundational nutrition, our nutritional foundation mm -hmm. is, is not adequate for a healthy brain. So then you kind of have to go realize, well, how did that happen? And then you you see that the food industry changed. So the, the food that we're consuming has changed so dramatically in such a short period of time. This is an experiment that none of us should be in. And yet mm -hmm. we are all in it. Yeah. And more importantly, we're seeing it's going to get worse and worse because we're getting generate the, the, the foods that the mother consumes during pregnancy affects the growing fetus. So then we know now when we follow those kids and we look at the diet of moms, the more likely that diet consisted of those ultra processed foods, the more behavioral problems that child has. So we're kind of now recognizing this intergenerational problem that, you know, if I think about what my grandmother ate, we were talking earlier, my grandmother's from the UK, she probably, she would have been, uh, you know, when she was pregnant with my mother she it would have been what pre-world war ii pretty good wholesome whole food diet and then what what my mother would have eaten probably would have been okay but what my you know, during childhood but when she when i was born we're in the 70s now mm. and our, the food in the 70s was when it took a dramatic turn so then you can think okay then my children what's the food that they get exposed to you can see how much worse it's getting from one generation to the next. And so we're, we're seeing these problems earlier and earlier, psychiatric problems earlier and earlier, more and more anxiety, more depression. You can't help but wonder what is the food environment doing to our kids? It's not going to be everything. And I don't want your listeners to think, okay, if we all just ate, you know, uh, I don't know, you know smoothies and, and and kale, we'd all be all right. Um, there's other issues. There's other things that contribute to mental health issues. Yeah. There's going to be your environment. There's going to be poverty. There's going to be um, trauma. Things that yeah. happen to us. A whole host of things. But I think that if we had a better foundation of nutrition, we would all be more resilient to things that happen to us. Absolutely. I, th I think that's very important. Um, wh when we speak to a lot of people on our show, or we hear other people's stories, there's not often going to be one single thing that helps them on their journey yes. to improving their mental health. It's about building blocks to, to several different things which help them. And I think that, that, pardon the pun, but it's a bit of an olive branch if you think what you can consume can help in a positive way. And that's something that they didn't know previously that could be of benefit to them. Um, yes. We touched on pre about 10 minutes ago a little bit around um, the gut and that connection with the brain, um, which I think can be quite significant. Um, so how keeping the gut full of healthy bacteria can be significant in overall health. 
Now that could be not so much just what you do eat, like a probiotic, but also what you don't eat and start stripping those. Yeah. Yes, back exactly. Away. Do you have sort of, and I know it's really hard to put this into tips over an audio, but kind of sort of helpful things people could be doing and maybe sure. is there any things people see in marketing? So do those probiotic drinks you see all over the TV adverts, do they work? What are your thoughts on them? Right. Oh, goodness, the kind of big question. So the first thing <laughs> that you, you mentioned was the, the food. So yeah. if you're eating ultra processed food, the research shows that that does affect your microbiome and it affects in particular the types of species that are in there as well as diversity. This is a really, really new area of research. And so we're still trying to figure it all out. But what we can, I can fairly, I feel, say fairly confidently is that diversity is good. Just like it's not just one nutrient, it's not just one bacteria. You need a diverse microbiome in order to be healthy. And we also see that people who are healthy tend to have a more diverse microbiome and people who are struggling with health issues, whether that's physical or mental, there's an effect that their microbiome seems to be less diverse. So ultra processed food has been shown to reduce the diversity of the microbiome. So the number one thing that if you wanna increase your diversity is that you need to eat a full array of the colors of the rainbow. And that doesn't mean gummy bears. That <laughs> means um, your green peppers, your yellow peppers, your red peppers, your um, caps, uh, your <laughs> capsicum, same word, same thing. Uh, your, uh, your eggplant, your uh, oranges, your lemons, your kiwi fruit, the full color because that's gonna give you not only that full breadth of minerals and vitamins, it's gonna give you phytonutrients, which we know are really important. It's gonna give you fiber and it's going to be feeding your bacteria as well. So, you know, some specific types of foods that you'd want to be eating that we know the bacteria in your microbiome are going to love and, and feed off of are things like lentils, your beans, your onions, your leeks, your garlic, your asparagus, your beets. Those types of foods are all known as prebiotics, and that's because they are they they're useful for your gut bacteria, and they the gut bacteria feed off of them, and that's important for all of the digestion and everything that's going on. So you want to so so the number one message is stop you know reduce your consumption of ultra processed food. That can be a treat, a once and a while, and enjoy it. But otherwise, it really your diet should mostly consist of your your whole real foods. Um, and this and the diet that's being uh, researched the most is the Mediterranean style diet, and that is high in your legumes, your high in your beans, your lentils, your fish, your uh, fruit and vegetables, low in processed food, um, high in things like your healthy fats, like your olive oil, lots of olive oil. So those nuts, your seeds, those types of foods. So really good diet. You might as if you're just starting out, that's the kind of diet that you can think about. That's what you're aiming for. So then you're trying to eat a lot of these prebiotics to feed the bacteria, to increase your diversity of your bacteria. And probiotics are important too, and that's important for, for, for uh, providing uh, more uh, diversity again of different types of bacteria because you're basically giving eating 
eating live bacteria. So that would be things like your yogurt, your kimchi, your sauerkraut, natto, tempeh, any of those fermented beverages like kombucha or kefir, those types of foods are going to be important to, to increase that diversity again. So that's going to be good overall. We, uh, there's um, in terms of your overall health, in terms of mental health, eating those foods, it's really hard to know whether or not that's making a difference. Because, you know, going back to the studies I was talking about before, where we did it in pill form, it's, that's easy to do. If you want to do an overhaul of someone's diet and see whether or not that makes a difference, it's much harder to do uh, for so many different reasons. One of them is hard to control. You can't, and people lie about what they've been eating. Um, <laughs> you've probably encountered that. So, uh, so there's a whole host of challenges associated with doing those types of studies. So then they do things like they give people probiotics in a pill form. Um, and I've done, I've done uh, one, I did one study like that um, a few years ago with um, a former PhD student, Amy Romain, um, who, who now lives in Wales, actually she is Welsh. So, um, and, and what her PhD was to look at probiotics versus like a, in a pill form versus actually it was in a powder form. They just it was a sachet. They just swallowed it versus a placebo. And we were looking at the treatment of using that for the treatment of depression. And it didn't have an effect. And there's been other studies that have also shown no effect to probiotics. But in all fairness, there are also other studies that have shown the effect. So the yeah. effect, overall, it's a pretty mixed picture. And I think it's partially mixed because different people use different strains and the dose of the strains is different. And so you end up with, then you want to put them all together and try to see if there's any story there. And it's just a bit of a apples and oranges kind of scenario at this stage. So is it worth it to give, to take these, these um, probiotics? Some would say yes. Others would say, oh, the science is, is, is kind of mixed on that topic. So we need a lot more research, but it is an interesting and exciting area because it is something that's so easy to do is to take probiotics. And so hopefully over time, the science will get more refined. I mean, we did one of the first studies on probiotics for the treatment of depression. Um, and so it's the, the, the field has really exploded since then. And there's a lot of other studies. But other things that people are doing for changing the, health, the, the, the microbiome, and this is not something I recommend that you do at home, and that is these, the, what's called a fecal, uh, like um, a mic, uh, microbial transplant, um, oh, yeah. FMT, fecal microbial transplant. Yeah. So, and essentially you take a donor and you take their microbiome and you give it to the person who's, who's got the health issues to see whether or not that has a different, it makes a difference on their overall mental health. Uh, they call them crapsules. So, um, <laughs> Anyone listening can work out what that is, yeah. I think. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, animal studies have been really interesting on this. And there are some human studies where it's intriguing. It's really fascinating to think that our microbes can play such a, a role in our brain health but we're really starting to learn how important it is that you have a healthy microbiome. And the number one way to get a healthy microbiome from the start without going into all of those probiotic, probiotics that are being sold in the pharmacies is to just eat real food. 
yeah. number one, eat real food. And then of course, uh, make sure you get a lot of the variety of those um, fermented types of foods as well, which are so important. And that I think a lot of people have lost touch with, I mean, how many people eat sauerkraut? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not something that is, is consumed probably as much now as it used to be. No, absolutely. It's something I try and eat a bit more of, but I just don't really like the taste that much, which yeah, is probably the same for a lot of people. Um, we've just touched yeah. on there about things maybe you should eat. Often when somebody's feeling low, the go-to food and drink options tend to be comfort-based, alcohol, sugar, fast food, right. instant mm. satisfaction, leaves yeah. you feeling a bit ropey in the long run. Yes. How, with your sort of psychology hat on, how do we come away from that type of behavior yeah. or, or can't we? Do we just have to accept it? Well, I'd hope not to accept it. I'd, I'd hate to just give in to, to that. I think that if you start the journey when you're not feeling in that really awful, you know, stressed state is probably a good thing. Um, and sometimes it could be that you start with the supplements and you realize how important how much you how much better you feel with the minerals and vitamins and so that is often the motivator for people to then go i think now i have the motivation and the energy to change to do a rehaul of my diet so you can you know so those people who are in that really down space sometimes supplementation may be the better place to start because it's just so hard to get your head around the idea of cooking changing your eating habits that are so, you know so ingrained so that could be definitely a starting point. Um, and I would say it's baby steps. It's about just those, those, those just let's start with one meal. Um, and which meal should we start with? I'd say start with your breakfast because start of the day. Um, let's see if we can change what you eat for your breakfast. And that could be small changes. Um, it could be that you start to make your own you know, muesli, not that hard to do so nourishing so nutritious um you know full of your you know your your um your nuts and your seeds again uh depends on what you put in there you're you know um i make my own muesli i we haven't talked about my book it's in the book <laughs> the better <laughs> brain um which just came out in the uk april 20th and Fantastic. so it's available we'll be there. sure to do a, a link to it with with this episode for sure yes and there's also recipes in there. So, I, you know, there's, you know, over 30 recipes in there that follow the Mediterranean style diet. But just a, just sort of a, a, a baby steps of just what am I going to, what one thing can I do? Is it, is it taking out the, the soft drink that you drink every day? So, and replace that with, you know, maybe a, a herbal tea. I know that's probably not going to sound that appealing, but it's really just about those small steps and then on a journey towards doing the doing an overhaul of your diet. So don't think yeah. you can do it in a week. Um, baby steps on that front uh, of doing it and, and learning, okay, I'll, I'll cook maybe, you know, if you're not cooking, can you think about doing that once a week and and make that making that a fairly simple thing if you just start to you know you take two ingredients i i do this I, you know i go okay kale and lentils what can you make with kale and lentils <laughs> lentils and i say that because 
they're cheap. And that's the often the pushback is that, oh, if I'm going to eat well, it's going to be expensive. And I'd be like, no, it doesn't have to be expensive. Just go and get some kale and lentils that is not going to be expensive. So, um, and, and you know, having a bit of garlic, some spices, um, maybe an onion, uh, you may or may not want to put some meat in that kind of dish. You And you do a Google search and you will get a recipe. You'll get hundreds of recipes. So it's a it's amazing how you can have recipes at your fingertips that we just didn't used to have. So that that can be an easy way to try to get yourself into that is okay, well what ingredients do I have? There's there's amazing apps now that yeah. you just say, you know, where they they just tell you what's in my fridge and what can I make with what's in my fridge. Absolutely. So but just yeah. getting interested in it and recognizing that 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 kind of eating hasn't helped you mm -hmm. and fundamentally recognizing that yes it makes sense why you're drawn to comfort foods because in the short term you feel a little bit better in the long term did it help you feel better i can guarantee you're going to get the answer is no so it's about starting to recognize that connection between what you're eating and um, your mental health you could do it with it using a food diary um, of just tracking that of what you're eating and your overall mood. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways that you can sort of test that out for yourself yeah. to sort of recognize how important it is to just, and it's about doing those baby steps. It's not gotta be massive. And over time you realize that, hey, you know what? I'm eating a little bit better now. Yeah, I agree. It's also changing that emphasis, as you said, when I, when I want to eat something nourishing, I'll often do what you've just mentioned, put a load of vegetables in a in a pot, maybe some turmeric and, and often put some liver in there, which I'm not sure about where you are in the in the world, what the price is, but they give it away for pence in the UK, which is such uh, a, a nutrient dense bit piece of is. food. Absolutely. Um, and nobody likes yeah. their liver anymore. But yes, no, you exactly. fantastic. You do, obviously. So <laughs> but but also I think that if you've already made those steps. And then you're, you're more likely to make a better choice yeah. when you're in that depths of despair because you've already taken the steps to kind of change that. And, and also it's about availability. It's about what's... So I have a, a bowl of nuts beside my computer so that if I am feeling a little bit peckish, I might grab a couple of nuts as opposed to going down to the vending machine and getting a chocolate bar. So it's, it's, again, it's like being preemptive. It's a, it's pro being proactive about what, what foods are actually available when yeah. you're feeling like that. And we did touch on before um, a little bit about children now probably even worse off than the parents did and the grandparents did. I mean, even if you look at the rate of people who breastfeed, they're swapping natural breast milk, which is the first meal, naturally from evolution we would ever have for for bottle formula that's on that's on a massive rise yeah. and we're also although seeing... i don't know i think i suspect it's I, I when when i was a you know kid when i was born that was the emphasis but i think there's a shift more towards breastfeeding again is i don't i i yeah, i thought I mean, so i haven't actually looked at it in a while um, yeah. my kids are now 16 18 but um when I when they were born in the early two thousands, it really really emphasis was on breastfeeding. Yeah, and I and think, I was kind of like breastfeeding. Like Why would you breastfeed when you, <laughs> when you have bottle feet? But of course, yeah, I, I, I listen. I um my my 
girlfriends are midwife and she's always having a battle oh. to get people uh, <laughs> on the breast okay as okay they well then but you would know you are right i do think that the the emphasis is most parents want to breastfeed but when it comes to reality they give yeah. it a week and it, it's just obviously a bit more the males can help when it's bottle fed i think a lot of it's yeah based. But yeah no but i just go mm-hmm. to your ted talks where you mentioned the importance of not turning to the likes of Ritalin for ADHD and, and, and medication straight away because while in the short term you may get a, a bit of a rebound, in the long term it can actually have the opposite approach. Um, yeah. Western will have will have children. Um, can you sort of explain how they could potentially go about facing a problem like that when it's their own child? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is that what I I think we all need to understand is that all of these psychiatric diagnoses are on a continuum. It's a black. It's not black and white. It's not that um, you have it or you don't. That you have good concentration or you don't have con- good concentration. We all have. It's we're all can struggle. But what happens with people who are diagnosed with ADHD is that they. Um, are really impaired by these symptoms of poor concentration. It happens a lot more for them. It's harder for them to redirect their concentration. It's harder for them to stay sitting still than it is for for other, other kids. And so at that stage, you think, okay, well, what is it that we can do in order to assist that child? So a stimulant, a Ritalin, um, those, you know, the medications are, are remarkable in the short term. Like in, if you're looking at changing a child's behavior in a sort of a three to four hour window, I can't really offer you anything else. I can't suggest anything else in that short term. But what a lot of families have to deal with when they are using these medications is that the child may concentrate or, you know, be, be, looking like they concentrating at school. And I say that because the long-term data are mixed on whether or not it affects their academic overall achievement. And so you do have to wonder why is it they're not doing much better academically in the studies that have looked at this uh, compared to kids who don't get the stimulants because they look like they're concentrating more. So that's a question, you know, just sort of left out there for, for scientists to ponder on and also for parents to ponder on. Um, so, um, where was I at? Uh, so in the short term, you can see these benefits in the behaviors. In the long term, the studies that have followed these kids over a longer period of time don't seem, don't show that the symptoms have improved more than kids who weren't on those medications. And that's based on some of the long-term studies that have been done in the U.S., and that's a puzzle. It's like, well, how did that happen that these kids have been on these medications for such a long period of time? And yet it seems like the effect did it wear off. Um, it's unclear about how that happened. Those studies are hard to interpret because they're naturalistic at that stage. They're no longer in a controlled trial. So are the kids who stay on the medications ones who were more severe? That doesn't seem to explain it. But there, there's this concern that over the long term, the outcomes in some areas aren't as good as we hoped. The other thing 
of is that we need to think about are the side effects of medications and this doesn't happen to all children but some of the key side effects are effects on your appetite and effects on um, your sleep and so that's why you can't medicate all the way through the day because it affects their appetite and their sleep and you want kids to eat and you want them to to sleep my worry though of what happens when kids are on these stimulants is that because of the effect on appetite the parents are just excited that the kids eat something and so they'll probably they're more likely than to if okay well if the child eats something that's calorie rich that's great and they're not necessarily as worried about those minerals and vitamins that i was talking about so they're going to may very likely compromise on that just to make sure the child is eating something and so they're going to be of course concerned about their growth um, and that is one of the long-term challenges is that growth is affected by long-term use of stimulants and it's it's you know it's it's about a, you know a couple of centimeters so that's a you know could, could be a, a significant thing for some families you know if you're going to be six foot then it might not matter but for uh, you know for other children that might be a big difference in terms of their overall growth trajectory getting slightly shortened as a consequence of taking these medications so you've got this kind of you're having to weigh the pros and the cons of this is that yeah i see the you know their their adhd behaviors get better over the short term but the long term oh there's some niggling things that i'd be if i was a parent to be be a little bit concerned about so enter the nutrients and the food we we've been you know there's been a lot of talk about how food plays no role in adhd there are studies now that are coming back and looking at this and saying you know what it does look like it has a it does have an effect um those moms who were eating ultra processed food during pregnancy increases the risk of the child having adhd symptoms um, moms who eat mediterranean style that reduces their risk kids who are uh, changed onto foods that are more are are less processed that does seem to have an effect on their ADHD behavior ADHD behavior it's not all of them it's a smaller percentage about 30 percent who seem to benefit so you might say well you know what ADHD medications they seem to help about 80 percent of kids the food cha diet change doesn't so it doesn't affect it as much so maybe I should just go for stimulants in our research, we found that over the long term, using those minerals and vitamins in a pill form, when we follow them up to a year, there are far more kids, like there's about 70% of our sample is in remission in their ADHD symptoms, compared to 50% of those who, who went to medications, and compared to about 20% who do nothing at all. So it, it, it seems to be a benefit for the nutrients in the long term. It's not going to have the same yeah. quick effect but in the long term, it seems if for some kids, it can really be life changing. And I think that ties us in really nicely to the to the last question, really, which is the importance of education and all this, because if you are an individual suffering or you're a parent or a friend of somebody who's suffering, then often it, you don't really know what to do and you, you don't have the, the weaponry and your knowledge to, to apply nutrition and what to eat. Well, I suppose the the field of nutrition is so complex. It's it's it often clashes. You've got paleo versus veganism. You've got supplements versus natural foods. There's a whole host of things people will disagree on. And if you just go onto Google, I suppose you're <laughs> going to find a lot of different answers to the same yeah. question. Yeah. So, how can we redefine the importance we put 
on food, uh, on nutrition, on eating well, I, I suppose it has to start at a grassroots level and at an educational level, but it's whose workings do you use for those those classes, I suppose. Do you have any thoughts and feelings on how we can shift to, to putting more? Yeah. If you see what I'm getting at, yeah, some more emphasis sure. on eating well from a, from a grassroots level. Yeah. So I think that it could, well, it could start with the midwives. I think yeah. that's a great place to start and the emphasis that midwives place on food. And I think one of the things, thinking back on my own pregnancies, I was, you know, it was the fear of God was put in you about, you know, if you eat something raw, a raw, raw fish, your kid is going to, you know, your the baby's going to die. And, and, and you, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're scared of eating lettuce when you go out to a buffet because it, maybe it wasn't washed properly or, or all of these yeah. things. So you end up fearing um, what not, what you're always told about what not to eat rather than what to eat. So I think if we can shift that emphasis to here's the array of amazing things that you could eat during, you can eat during pregnancy. Yeah. And you need to be careful about some things like fish, for example, there was a time when women were just didn't eat fish at all during pregnancy. Well, that ended up being a bad thing. And that was based on UK data. They found that that had a more detrimental effect on the, the growing fetus, um, not having fish than to having the fish, a little bit of fish, because the concern was about mercury. So if you are you can eat fish during pregnancy, but you need to limit it. So one to, once to twice a week, absolutely fine. And it's really important to get those omega-3 fatty acids. And that's a, a, one of the best sources is to get it from fish. So, and if you don't want to eat fish, then making sure you take some omega-3 fatty acid supplements um, and, and not the vegan versions of that, if, if you can help it, because mm -hmm. the vegan versions don't have your DHA and EPA, which are we know are so important for brain development or they don't have as much. Just spend some time in the pharmacy and you'll see what I, I, I mean. They have ALA, but not DHA, not as much yeah. DHA and EPA, which are the ones that are important for fetal brain development. So um, fish is your place to go. Uh, so, so midwives, so what they're taught, they're telling moms and, and, and having those conversations about diet would be really important. Making sure that kids understand when they're, you know, when they're, being taught about nutrition, which they are taught about at schools, but they're often told about it in the context of growing a, a mm -hmm. strong bones or muscles, but not talking about the importance of it for the brain. And the brain is the hungriest organ. It is the most metabolically active organ. It consumes 20 to 40% of the nutrients that we can, we eat go towards the metabolic activity of the brain. So if you think about it that way, you go, why do we not talk about the brain when we're telling kids about the importance of eating food. So then they might be like, oh, I need those minerals and vitamins. Where am I going to get those from? Yeah. And then they'll hopefully soon realize they're not going to get it from the packaged foods. So that at level of education, we need to educate doctors we, and our mental health professionals about the importance of nutrition. It's not really in their, in their in the education of at medical school or as i was talking about earlier for psychologists that has to change we can't just rely on the dietitians the dietitians yes they're they're an important profession there aren't enough of them they're not in, in they're not necessarily seeing the patients with the mental health issues so those who are seeing the patients with mental health issues need to know about the foundation of nutrition as being essential for their recovery 
So those are some of my ideas. I think the government needs to stop ignoring this and, mm -hmm. and invest in, in making sure that people are, the professions are educated, that the public health system, your NHS, supports the idea that nutrition is relevant to health so that they changed the foods that you're fed in the when you are at yeah. your sickest. Yeah. Uh, you can just look at what you're fed in a hospital and kind of go, really? Is this as good as it gets? Uh, so, you know, considering that. So there's, it's, you, you know, how far, how, you know, we could do a major overhaul. Yeah. Um, but the food industry, they have something to, they have to take some responsibility for the mess we're in. They've played a role in getting us enticed into eating these really tasty sugar, sugary loaded foods. And hey, you know what? that hasn't been good for our health. So yeah. I think they could play a role and you could also play a role in that with government um, in, you know, incentives on, you know, is it a sugar tax? Who knows what, but we, we should be able to do this. We are, you know, we're, we're dealing with uh, much bigger problems. And I think this is something that we could tackle as, as, as a, at a community level. Um, and so those are just some thoughts. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to find out more about Man Marking, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Marking underscore Man. And don't forget to use those hashtags, where's the talking lads and you're worth taking care of. To find out more about Julia, you can find her on Twitter. Her handle is at Julia Rookledge. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Give us a, a subscribe, a review, a rating. It really does help us to reach more listeners and grow the podcast. Tomorrow we'll be back with episode four, where we'll be speaking to Harry Rice of Lag on Mind. And we'll be discussing mindfulness. 